it's good to see you all again on this, the 31st of July. How do you get to be the 31st of July? Like, seriously, like, the, the year just slips away, just flits away every year. Well, not every year. Last year kind of dragged on. But this year, it definitely feels like it's, where'd it go? I don't know. And this happens a lot. It's easy for time to slip away from us and wake up one day and realize, oh gosh, it's all just gone. What have I been doing? Have I been asleep this whole time? And so it's good that at times like this, the church wakes us up a little bit, uh, gives us a change to our schedule, and calls us to have a fast and a couple of feasts. So, of course, tomorrow starts the Dormition fast, which will culminate at the feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God, the falling asleep, the death of Mary on the 15th. And in the meantime, midway through the fast, just about exactly halfway through, we get one of the, the, the richest feasts of the year, the transfiguration of Christ. And so the church has given us this moment to be pulled out of the routine, to stop the slippage of time, and to do a little bit of the work that we need to be doing to become the sort of people that God wants us to be. And I want to reflect on how today calls us to preparation in the fast and to recognition in the feasts. So preparation. It's always a question, why do we fast? Why do we do it? We have four major fasts per year, right? We have Great Lent, Christmas Lent, Dormition, and the Apostles' Fast. Um, and then in between, we have Wednesdays and Fridays and periodic days like the 29th of August for John the Baptist and all sorts of little moments punctuating the year where we change our diet, we change our routine. Why is it so gosh darned important to go vegan for Jesus from time to time? This is how I explain fasting to people who aren't Orthodox. They're like, what do you do? I was like, I'm, I'm vegan, but like for Jesus. And that seems to make sense to them, but then they're like, wait, you can have shrimp? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, vegan, but not like really vegan. But why? Why does that matter? Why? Is, it, is it because meat's bad? Well, obviously not. Dairy's not bad. These are fine. So if we're not fasting because of some moral judgment on food, are we fasting for self-denial? I mean, that sounds pretty good. That sounds all ascetic-y. I'm denying myself. But if, if it were really just about self-denial, then, I mean... This is really, this is going to sound strange, but trust me, it will make sense in a moment. If it were purely about self-denial, it would be no different from anorexia. It's just about control at that point. Like, oh, I can deny myself. Look at me. I've got this. I've got control. No, it's not about that either. No, we may need to deny ourselves. That may be very important, but why are we doing it? Well, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us an indication in the epistle today from Romans 15, when he says that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with those who are weak. And I'm going to come back to how funny that is for him to say in a moment, but why? Why, does he, why do we do this? What are we trying to do? He says, we need to please each other, not ourselves. We need to welcome each other, not ourselves. This passage is about learning to give ourselves to others rather than to please ourselves or expect them to please us. 
And fasting helps us learn to do that. Because when we're fasting, when it comes to food at least, generally speaking, what we're not doing is pleasing ourselves. If I were pleasing myself, I would be eating a steak. But I'm not. I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is not terribly pleasing. I don't hate it, but it's not great. And I begin to think at this moment, well, gosh, maybe the point wasn't for me just to extract as much pleasure as I could. Maybe the point was something else. And so fasting begins to teach us to look away from how we can get the most out of things and what else we might be doing instead. So, of course, along with the dietary change comes a call to greater prayer. And in the Dormition Fast, we have this in, especially in the form of the Paraclesis service, the service uh, which centers on the, on the canon uh, to the Mother of God, a canon of consolation and encouragement, which is what Paraclesis means. It is a supplication or request that she console, heal, and help us. And so we begin to think differently when we fast. And this is what Paul wants us to get at, that this change to our lives is about teaching us really to start thinking about how we can not please ourselves, but please others. It's interesting, in fact, that he, this passage begins with him saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weak, because it, the passage just before this is read right before the beginning of Great Lent. Uh, Romans 14, the last part of Romans 14, where he says, well, we who are strong can eat whatever we like. We don't mind eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols because idols are nothing, so who cares? Have some meat. Oh, but your brother might actually have a problem with that, and your brother eats just vegetables. Now, your brother is weaker because he needs to eat vegetables, and his conscience is hurt if he eats meat. He's worried about it. So bear with him. And it's funny because we read that the day before we start eating just vegetables. Because what does that mean? Are we the stronger ones? No, we're the weaker ones. Of course we are. The moment you start thinking, I'm the stronger one, you're probably in a really bad place. You know, the moment we start thinking, I'm the one that's got this, well, then we definitely don't got this. So we're actually the weaker ones in some ways. Who knows, in some things, maybe you're the stronger one. Maybe you're, there are things in areas in your life where you are sort of, in a sense, more advanced than your brother. So you're the stronger, so you bear with them. And others where you're weaker, and they bear with you. What Paul is calling us to, and what we need to learn through fasting, is mutuality. That if we're to bear with our brothers and sisters, we need them to bear with us, too. That if, as we're learning to please them, they're also learning to please us. We're learning to take care of each other. And the fast helps us do that, if only through the medium of food. So it's not really about self-denial so much as learning not to worry about ourselves much at all and learning instead to worry about everyone around us. But if we're serious about that, then we have to learn to worry about them whether or not they say thank you or are nice to us. And so Paul talks about endurance, it's easy to do things when people are nice to you in return. That's, that's, that's no problem. But it takes endurance. It takes persistence to keep trying to please them even when it isn't being reciprocated or it doesn't feel like it's being reciprocated, when the mutuality isn't perfect yet. And so he says, 
he calls on the God of encouragement and endurance. Because the God of encouragement and endurance first encourages and endures us. And I imagine we try his patience quite regularly. I know I do. And he teaches us to endure and encourage one another. To once more build up the mutuality that we're called to. To take this time of fasting to make ourselves into the community of saints that we're called to be. So it's not easy necessarily, but it is the work that we really have to be doing. And so it's so important that the church calls us out of our routine, which is easy to become kind of self-centered. You know, even in, the, even in the kind of mundane daily life, it's easy just to think, all right, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? And now we've got this moment to say, what do my brothers and sisters need? What does my family here need? And I mean family in the fast and the furious sense, not like blood family, but like the family that is made through grace, which is really what the fast and the furious movies are about. Um, we can talk about that another time. So as we're preparing through fasting for this, we have a model. And Paul tells us who the model is. The model is Christ. When he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, which is, a quote, a quote, of course, a quote from the prophets, but he applies it to Christ. He's saying, this is what you're going to need to do. And we have an example in the gospel today of Christ doing exactly that. He heals these two blind men. And First, he tells them, don't tell anyone, and they immediately disobey him. So, you know, so far, so good. It's like, I did this for you, and the first thing you do is, it's like having kids, right? It's like, all right, fine. And the next thing that happens is when they tell people about it, some people go, wow, I've never heard of such a thing happening in Israel. This is incredible. And others say, well, he's casting out demons by the prince of the demons. And it's like, seriously? Like, what a good thing he did. No, no love. No glory, no honor, just reproach. And so what does Christ do? Well, it tells us at the end of the gospel passage today. He didn't stop. He didn't apologize. He didn't rethink his strategy. He just went around healing people, casting out demons, teaching, and preaching. He kept doing what he was doing. He endured. And he endured the reproaches of those who couldn't understand what he was about. And that's the model that we have to have. That's the model that fasting teaches us, because fasting requires endurance. So as we endure in that, we learn to endure in giving ourselves to each other without expectation. Does that make sense? Sort of why we're doing it? All right. And that's good. But of course, fasting is never about fasting either. You know, it's always for something more. It's always in hope. So as we're learning to give of ourselves, and to endure, we are doing so in hope of becoming that community of saints, which is perfectly mutual, that as we give ourselves to others, they give themselves to us, and we are totally united in love. That's the hope. That's where we're aiming. That's where we want to go. Because, of course, as cliche as it might sound, in heaven there is no fasting. There is only feasting. But to learn to be the sort of people that can persist in an eternal feast, we have to be the sort of people who learn through fasting because it just doesn't come naturally. Because the eternal feast is a feast of endless, complete, mutual self-giving, wherein we are not concerned at all about being pleased, and 
only about pleasing each other, and in so doing, we find joy greater than we ever thought possible. But because it's not natural, at least doesn't feel natural, we have to learn through fasting. So we're doing this in hope. And we're given the taste of hope, of what we hope for, in the feasts. And this is why I think as much as preparation is important, so is recognition. We've got two feasts coming up, one in the midst of the fast and one that ends it. And I'm going to think about the transfiguration a little bit because, it, for one thing, it's before next Sunday, so um, I'm going to claim that it's still in my territory, uh, even though it's not really. And also we heard the hymn, the Troparian. You know, when you, O Lord, were transfigured on the mountain, your disciples saw your glory in the measure they could bear it. What a thought that is. You'd think it would be wonderful to see the glory of Christ, but actually it's not easy to bear. It's demanding. And recognition is a warning as well, that to be able to recognize the transfigured Christ, we need to be prepared. Because it's also possible to fast and to do the services in such a way that we don't really learn to recognize Christ. And this is what I take from the Pharisees' response in the gospel today. So the Pharisees, okay, Matthew doesn't like the Pharisees. If you want a different, read Luke, read Acts. The Pharisees are pretty cool. In fact, they're like friends with Paul because Paul's a Pharisee and they defend him at the Sanhedrin, right? Like the Pharisees actually are the folks that really get it. They love the scriptures. They love the traditions of the fathers. They love God's law. This should sound familiar because this is the stuff we love. We love the scriptures. We love the commandments of God. We ask him to teach us his statutes all the time and we love the traditions of the fathers. They get it right in so many ways except one, that when they meet God in Christ, they can't recognize him. But I'd wager that's actually a problem that we face too, because it is possible to get everything right, to do everything right, but not to recognize Christ. And this is because this is because Christ tends to come in unexpected ways. I mean, the incarnation is itself unexpected. It is a strange thing for the God who created the universe to become a puny little human being. That is really odd when you think about it. It's not what you would expect. And if you're going off of what you expect or what you think is right, well, you won't be ready to be surprised. And Christ is always surprising. So when we prepare through fasting, we are preparing not to have our expectations met, not just by others, but even by God. We're preparing to be open and receptive to meeting Christ in unexpected ways. When he is transfigured on the mountain, he tells his disciples, he's always telling people, don't, tell, don't talk about me, you know, keep it secret, keep it safe. And, of course, they're always talking about it. But he says to them, in that case specifically, don't tell anyone until after, until after the Son of Man has been killed. Because, see, the thing is, the glory of Christ that is shown in the transfiguration that we're excited about and should be excited about when, he, when the divinity radiates out through his body, that is only comprehensible in light of the fact that as a human, he dies. And his death is only really comprehensible in light of his resurrection. You can't have one of these without the other. So to recognize Christ in the transfiguration, we have to be aware that it's not just glory and power. 
It's death. It's humility. And yet on the other side of that, it's also resurrection. It is also a gift beyond all gifts. And so what we're going to be doing is preparing to recognize Christ who surprises us and who doesn't always play by the rules we might set up or uh, meet the expectations we have, but who does reveal a glory greater than any of those could allow for because our expectations could never live up to the infinite glory and love of God. So, I hope that in the next week and the week following, you have a good fast. And by a good fast, I mean a fast that helps you learn a little bit to take the focus off of me and put it on to those around us. That it's a fast that teaches us to love and welcome our brothers and sisters here and out there, just as Christ loved and welcomed us, that teaches us to endure and encourage each other just as God endures and encourages us, that teaches us to recognize Christ, the transfigured Christ, who is the crucified Christ, who is the resurrected Christ, who is the brother or the sister, the neighbor that we are called to love, to please, to welcome, to endure and encourage. And if we can do that, then we'll be well on our way to becoming that community of saints that God has called us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.